uh, set sail, as Mark would say. And it's good to uh, have each of you out tonight on uh, on this call. And so uh, we pray that uh, the Lord would uh, meet us here in this uh, session here. We have been talking about the Jesus mentality. We've been talking about the, the Jesus mentality. And um, uh, I don't know if you all could see my screen, if someone could just give me a heads up or just let me know if uh, we are good there. Can you all see my screen? Yep, we can see it, Kelvin. Very well, very well, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, let's get started. We're looking uh, at Jesus mentality. We're continuing our investigation into the Jesus mentality. However, I wanna draw our attention now from the mentality to characteristic of Jesus given to him by his father. And when we see the effect that Jesus had on those who came into contact with him, we quickly realized he was not an ordinary man. So this underlining quality and principle of life is something we are invited to share in and will be the focus of tonight's study. We're gonna to begin to talk about tonight about the power of righteousness, the power of righteousness. And while looking into the power of righteousness, we will not concern ourselves with the composition of righteousness, what it's made up of, but the potency from it produced in those born of and aligned with God. I'll say it again. While we look, we're looking into the power of righteousness, we will not concern ourselves with the composition of righteousness, but the potency from it produced in those born of and aligned with God, that's you and I. Second bullet point, righteousness is the character of God that is what makes him the kind of God he is. His righteousness makes him credible and powerful. His righteousness makes him credible and powerful. So when we look at this issue of righteousness, it is, it is what God has made up of, it's his character. Third bullet point is every action God takes emanates from his righteousness. Every action God takes emanates from his righteousness. It starts there. And if we are born of God, righteousness is in our spiritual DNA to be the same way, the same way as Jesus. So I want us to look into these principles, the power of righteousness, that will be our, our subject, focusing on what uh, the characteristics of uh, Jesus, but mostly in our lives personally, in our lives personally. So let's look at this next slide. We're defining righteousness just in, in various ways. So righteousness is conformity into the illuminated will of God. It's the will of God illuminated or made light to us the conformity to God's revealed will, uh, righteousness, whatever God determines to be right or just. That's what righteousness is, whatever God determines to be right or just. What is righteousness? Righteousness is determining and taking the right course of action, taking the right course of action. So to make a righteous decision, we have to come from a righteous consciousness, 
a righteous uh, place of thought, coming from the place where God makes all his decisions. So determining and taking the right course of action. Righteousness, what is it? It is the responsive life of those who carry the character of God. That's what righteousness is. It is the responsive life of those who carry the character of God. That's you and I. So we want to be able to talk about these things uh, this evening. Uh, I have a, you know, not that many slides tonight, but um, I want to kind of look at these things and 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 cause us to have some com some conversation around them. I want us to to consider this issue of righteousness because we're born of it. We are born of righteousness, and these are some things that we must consider because it influences and it affects the way we walk in the earth. It affects the way we engage with others, the way we do business, the way we interact with people, the way we talk to people about the Lord, the way we live our lives and demonstrate and express what the kingdom is, all right? The Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness. Notice what it starts with, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So this idea of righteousness is the, the foundation, it's the substratum, if you will, of it's the core of Almighty God himself. His character is righteous, his nature is holy. And when we're born of him, somewhere inside of us must be resident these positions. I don't want to go back up here, uh, go back up to, uh, to this, this slide here. Again, while looking into the power of righteousness, we won't concern ourselves with the composition of it, what it's made up of. It's made up of beautiful things, integrity, you know, righteousness. It's made up of, uh, uh, you know, God's word. Uh, righteousness is made up of his sovereignty, all of those things. Um, but we're just going to look at the overall power of righteousness and, and where we find this potency, uh, where, we, where, where we see the potency of it that is produced in those born and aligned with God. That's us, born and aligned with God. So how does righteousness affect me today? How does righteousness affect my family? How does it affect the world I live in? How does it affect the decisions I make? How does it affect the way I take care of myself? How does it affect the way I think? How I process my thoughts and my thinking and my understanding. So this idea of righteousness gives us uh, a consciousness and an awareness that we are living in the world, but not of it. And we are not subject to certain things in this earth because we are righteous. We're gonna talk about this as we move forward into it. And I wanted to go back over this, uh, this issue of uh, righteousness being the character of God and what makes him the kind of God he is. He's just. When we look at the, the righteousness, we you have to look at righteousness and your mind has to go to the courtroom. It has to do with justification. It has to be, it has to do with what he declares over us. I thank God for his righteousness because as we'll find out here in a moment, it is the standard of life, his righteousness. It makes him credible and powerful and, and righteousness will make us credible and make us powerful as well. So every action God takes emanates from his righteousness. 
it is no different than who he is. The decisions he makes, the things he declares, the things he activates and initiates in the earth, what he has, all comes from the being, his being of righteousness. Okay, we're going to move, move down now to, uh, to the next slide. So what makes righteousness powerful? I just, I just said it. It is the superior standard of life. Righteousness is the superior standard of life. What else? It elevates and dignifies a life to the level of its divine intent. That's what righteousness does. That's what makes it powerful. That's the effect it has on our life. It elevates and dignifies a life to the level of its divine intent. What God intended for righteousness to be, its expression in the earth through human beings, this is what it does. Righteousness elevates us. It doesn't elevate us in ego. It elevates us in perspective. It has us to think like the Lord. It gives us the mind of Christ. It elevates. We, we elevate above the trivialness of the world. And we seek uh, the things that are above, the, the elevation of our ethics, the elevation of our um, principles and values. And these bring, these bring dignity to our lives. It brings dignity. It elevates and dignifies our lives to the level of its divine intention. What did God want for each of us? How does he want us to live? What is the expression he, he designed for us and through us in the earth? This is what righteousness does. When righteousness is resident inside of us, when it is founded inside of us, we begin to live life from our divine intent, God's divine intent. Let's look at this bottom one here. It is unparalleled in conduct. It is unparalleled in judgment or law. It is unparalleled in spiritual architecture and agriculture. Righteousness is. It's unparalleled. When one is righteous, their conduct is unparalleled. When one is righteous, the judgment and the law is unparalleled. When one is righteous, the spiritual architecture and agriculture is unparalleled. It's like, like nothing we have ever seen. Okay? So that's the issue of righteousness. You can't compare righteousness to anything. It doesn't have an equal because God doesn't have an equal. All right? All right, now let's look at this. We'll go next to the next slide. The power of righteousness. Righteousness is oblivious to what confronts it because it knows everything will ultimately succumb to its strength. And that strength is God's will. Righteousness is oblivious to whatever confronts it. It, it, doesn't, even, it doesn't even take into consideration what confronts it because it knows that everything will ultimately succumb to the strength of righteousness, which ultimately is God's will. That's the power of righteousness. The second bullet point, it thrives independent of opinion, independent of human wisdom, independent of consensus. It doesn't take a vote. Righteousness doesn't take a vote. It's a standard. It's a standard of life. It's a superior standard of life. So it is, it is elevated. 
it dignifies, it, it, it is independent of opinion, human wisdom, or consensus. It does not take a vote. Righteousness is oblivious to what confronts it because it knows that everything ultimately is going to succumb to the will of God. All right. This is what the scripture says, Proverbs 14 and 34. New American Standard, it says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So this is another example of righteousness. Righteousness exalts, righteousness elevates, righteousness reveals, it exalts, it promotes, it promotes. And because Jesus was righteous, he was born of his father. The Bible says that it gave, that the Lord gave him a name. God gave him a name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He gave him the name Jesus and put within that name power, potency. Put within that, that name um, uh, dunamis, explosive power. And he exalted him, gave him a name that is above every name because of righteousness. This is what righteousness does. Righteousness. It exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So it can bring exaltation to a nation, a person, or a family. Okay. All right. I want to just uh, stop here because I, I don't have uh, too many more slides than this, but I want to hear from you. I'd like to, to kind of uh, uh, stop here for a minute. I'd like to get some conversation centered around righteousness. Let's, let's kind of talk about this a little bit. Any initial thoughts about righteousness and what it's comprised of and what it is? Any questions about it or comments? Anybody, any thoughts on on righteousness. Talking about the power of righteousness, the power of it. Okay. All right. Okay, well, we'll uh, maybe we will we will we will move on after all and go back to uh, go back to our uh, our point here. Okay, let's look at this. It says uh, the benefits. Let's look at the benefits of righteousness. The scripture says in Isaiah three and ten, "Say ye to the righteous." Okay, all right, Mark. I see your hand. I want to hear from you. Let's let's hear from you, Mark. Okay. Mark, you have the mic. Mark, can you hear me? The mic is yours, Mark. Mark. I see your hand. Okay. All right. 
I don't know. Something is happening with the audio on your end. Mark, are you there? Okay. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you're able to log off and log back on. Maybe that may may do it, but we can't hear you right now. And we'll. Um... Hey, Kelvin. Oh, there he is. Okay, go ahead. Who is that? No, no, this this is not Mark. This Casper. Okay, Casper. Uh huh. Yeah. Hey. Um. What I as she was, you know, teaching about, you know, the whole thing and. You know, back to a Jesus um, mentality. Um, kind of what what I've seen, you know, and what I've come to better understand um, through sitting and 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 you know and listening to you. Know, I'm trying to you know like organize my my thoughts so I could you know some put it out some you know succinctly so people could really get it. It, it it's like I came to realize that you know, there's other standards, other principles at operation in the earth. And when we come to know God, the deeper understanding, I think the church as a whole is not really understood, is that somehow we have to come to the place where we can fully image Christ and and we've said those things in those terms and we, and we use them. But, you know, I think what you're articulating is what does it really mean to image and walk in the place that Christ came and died for us to bring us to, you know, to this, this desired end or this desired place in God. And the scripture like, like that I've been reading is over in Deuteronomy Chapter seven, when the Lord brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gigasites, and he goes through all of that. And he says, when the Lord your God delivers them over to you and you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them, you shall make no covenant with them. You see what I'm saying? No covenant with them. So how do I not, come into covenant with Babylon when I fully don't understand how the, the, the contradiction, the difference between what is Babylon and what God has really called us to walk in an image. I'm saying going deeper besides the fact of, you know, I, I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't steal. I, I go to church every Sunday. I, 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 you, you see what I'm saying? I, I, I have an amen. I, I fasten. But there's a deeper revelation and a place I think that God's calling us to walk in in this hour where we will manifest Christ in the earth and there will be a clear difference between God's, because you like you said last week, you said a football player, I think it was you or Mark, you said a football player or some athlete gets out there and he says, praise God. And we think we're all serving the same God, but we don't really understand it's that person's character and how they live and execute their life every day that tells us which God they're truly serving. 
Does that make sense? A lot, Cassie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. I want I want Mark. Um, Mark, are you on? I want, want Mark. Uh, please bring your comment forth, Mark. Mark, you have the mic. Mark, are you there? Okay. All right. Okay, let's let's look at um, what Cassie was saying. You know, this is really is is really vital. Righteousness is the standard that's different because righteousness speaks of the character of God not just a testimony. There must be a standard in our lives that reflect who we're born of. And like, I think it may have been Mark that had mentioned last week about these people who give testimonies and they blow kisses. I call it blowing kisses to the Lord. They blow kisses to him, you know? And, and they could be sincere but like you said, Cassie, there's more. This issue of righteousness, um, it must be established in the human heart. There must be an establishment. There must be foundation inside of the human heart. Must be. And when we're born of the Lord properly, when we're born of God, these things happen and it installs a difference in, inside of us, a new operating system, a new driver inside of us, it, new motivation. It gives us new and fresh perspectives on the things of God. We find ourselves wanting to please God because the nature of righteousness that we're born of reflexively wants to be like him and to obey him and to please him. So yeah, I agree. There must be this difference. There's more than just the, the average, you know, run of the mill kind of thing where we just say, but we don't do. We say, but we don't believe. We say, but we're not really convinced and we're not convicted inside of our hearts. So that's beautiful. Very, very well said, uh, Cassie, and, and just a great, great perspective there. Great perspective. Is there anyone else? Mark right now is struggling with his, uh, with his audio, but if there's someone else that would like to make a comment, please do. I'm talking about righteousness. What is righteousness to you? How does it play inside of your life? How does it work itself out? in every day? How does it affect your decisions? One time I was teaching and there was a gentleman who was a, he was a, during this time at the church we were attending, he was a musician and um, he's not, he's now a pastor. Well, I was teaching one day and I don't know what I was teaching about, but 
I wasn't teaching about, um, I wasn't teaching about anything that I can remember particularly, but righteousness of the word hit his heart. And he told me that there's something that he did. Here in America, when you go up like to McDonald's or you go to a, a place like that, a KFC or something like that, you go to a place like that, you can ask the people at the, at the cash register or the people who are taking your money, they would give you a cup if you want water and the water is in a different place over by the soda or the, 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 the soda or the pop or um, the be those beverages. And so he was saying, he would ask for a water cup, which was smaller than a cup for soda or juice or something like that. And he would ask for the water cup, but he would fill it with a beverage. And when he heard that message, the Holy Spirit convicted him and said, you can't do that anymore. Like the light was turned on, that that activity is no longer valid for his life. That's the establishment of righteousness in the heart. It regulates us. It creates a law, rules. It creates um, with inside of us, uh, just like I said, a law, uh, an elevated standard, this righteousness. So he no longer could do that because he was going to um, the person asking for a water cup and then he would go and get a beverage. And so, because he was growing and the Lord was showing him different things. He made the decision to, you know, the, to alter his life. I mean, that's really, really beautiful because the Holy Spirit told him. No one, no one told him that. And, and, and there are people who still do it. And it's like, it's not a real big deal. But for him, there was a standard, a new standard and a new law inside of his heart and life. So yeah, that was beautiful, beautiful. Anyone else? Anyone else with a thought, a testimony, or a uh, perspective on this issue of righteousness? Are we understanding what, what it is, what we're speaking of when we're talking about righteousness? This is the character that we were born into, the character of our Father God that we live from, the standard of life we live from that is from him. Theo, I see your mic open. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to uh, chip in this. Um, something that uh, came to mind a few days ago as I was uh, meditating on the, on the word. Uh, I think I was reading um, uh, First Peter. Yeah, First Peter chapter, I think, uh, chapter four, chapter three, four, yeah, those chapters. And then uh, Peter was copiously, you know, quoting from the Old Testament, copiously. And I, I think at the point, he was making a point that he who wants to enjoy life should, and I started quoting, should, um, I think he was quoting from the book of Psalms, should keep his tongue from lies, he should uh, 
you should, you should do it, blah, 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 and all that. All that from the Old Testament. And then one thing that struck me was that they did not have anything called New Testament, which we read now. To them, their Bible was the Old Testament. That was what they were reading. That was their Bible, the Old Testament, the Torah, and then all that. Okay. And then um, what became so striking to me was uh, how, you know, these times you even find churches that don't reach the Old Testament because we are under grace. So uh, everything in the Old Testament, you know, they have no business to do with anything in the Old Testament, right? And then uh, the way righteousness is defined, you know, it's all about grace. And uh, in the way they water down the manifestations of the righteousness, which is also supposed to be in our deeds. So we are righteous by nature. But then if we are righteous by nature, you know, the fruit must also show. Right. Yeah, because it's just, you know, said that um, if you love me, keep my word. Okay. So, so I, I, that's really struck me that these guys will, for instance, Paul goes to the extent of saying that if you dishonor your wife, your pray, God will not hear your prayers. And that is, that is really, um, let me say, loaded. Okay, because the grace, the preaching of grace we hear today we say that, oh, it's, it's all about, um, uh, about the grace, or it's not really about what you do. Okay, so in that case, if God is going to hear you, it's not because you did ABC. But the same Paul tells us that if you dishonor your wife, or if you do, I mean, other stuff, God will not hear your prayers. And, and, and I, I was like, wow, this is uh, really instructive. Okay, so like I said, um, I think that um, the, you know, there's been too much focus on the teaching of grace that it's all about faith and then um, the, the, the works of righteousness, the deeds, you know, have been kind of marginalized, All right? So, uh, you know, but I think, I think that, um, and, then, and then after that, just about yesterday or so, I had, you know, from someone who was saying that, um, now this is a powerful man of God. And then he was talking about, uh, he was quoting from the book of Psalms, how the one who, uh, whose prayers the Lord hears is the one whose uh, uh, um, hands are clean. And then he was talking about effective prayers and blah, 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 and all that, right? Um, again, bringing attention to the fact that right living, you know, must go hand in hand with the nature of righteousness. 
yeah, so I mean, that's what I wanted to I mean, talk about. Thank you. It's beautiful, Theo. That's beautiful. I, I want to look at what you were saying about how people just are exclusive to the Old Testament. I really don't like the term old. I prefer the term foundational, foundational testament. You know, that's the foundational testament. And then the New Testament is the revelation of the foundational testament. And, uh, but yeah, a lot of times people, when they say, when they, they hear old, they think old and like no longer relevant, you know, but um, we see patterns inside the Old Testament. We see foundations. We see the origin of things in the Old Testament. And so, uh, but, but anyway, I, I like, um, again, what you said, using the example of husbands and how if his conduct with his wife is not befitting to the Lord, his prayers will be hindered. You know, that's righteousness, man. That right there, that's righteousness. One time God dealt with me about my tone, not just words, my tone. Now, I, I don't teach tone to, to husbands. I don't teach tone, but God dealt with me about my tone in dealing with my wife. And so, um, that became the standard of righteousness in my life. I don't know what God saw. I don't know what he, um, why uh, he impressed that upon me, but it's imperative, it's important that I acknowledge that, you know, as I, uh, as I navigate in my home as a husband uh, uh, to Brenda. And so, um, and there are other things that the Lord spoke uh, regarding regarding me and that. So as a righteous man, as a man of God, I must submit to righteousness. Now, when I say well, I must submit to righteousness, I must submit to righteousness from a, a legal standpoint, but it is my joy to submit to righteousness because it's the requirement of my father and it will make me better it will make me more serviceable. It'll make me more like Christ. And that's really my native desire. I desire that. So it's not, um, there's one scripture talks about, uh, and his commandments are not grievous. His commandments are not grievous. You know, when you, when you really see this thing, we don't see sacrifice, we see love. We don't see the, the, the feeling of, of drudgery and this and that. No, we don't see that. We see joy. What does the scripture say? Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with sing. There's an attitude. There's an attitude. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he that's made us and not we ourselves. So if we get the righteousness thing, and I agree with you again, um, uh, Theo, I agree with you again about the issue of grace and people, you know, do the grace and grace, grace, grace. And listen, grace is magnificent. I thank God for grace. I'm a grace case. I thank God for grace. But when righteousness is established in my heart, I understand that grace is a safety net and not a trampoline. Sometimes people think grace is a trampoline. 
you just jump up and down, jump up and down. I can do what I want because, hey, God's going to forgive me and, you know, dump up and down. And that's not what grace is there. Grace is for the oops. Grace is for the ah. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to do that. That's what grace is for. Grace is not to be treated like a trampoline. So um, it's our understanding of grace um, and, 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 and those kind of things. But it is our understanding of righteousness that causes us to live by principle and not by feelings or emotion or compulsory, or any of those kind of things. I, I don't know. Uh, Theo, did you have your mic open again? Was there something else you wanted to, to add there? I saw your mic open. Uh, I don't know if you did or not, but okay. Mark, I don't know if you were able to get yours going. Uh, your audio, I'd love to hear for you, from you if we could, Mark, commenting on this issue of righteousness. Yes, Colleen. Beautiful. I, I, okay. Beautiful. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Um, so I just want to, I love the opening um, definition of righteousness you gave when you said righteousness is everything God does because everything God does comes from his character, his nature, and God is right. You know, the Bible talks about redeeming the time, not working as fools by understanding the will of God. I think for me, righteousness is understanding the will of God, aligning my thoughts, aligning my action, allowing my deed with God's will, God's purpose. Righteousness is patience when God requires me to be patient. Righteousness is perseverance when God requires me to be perseverant. Righteousness is faith. Bible says Abraham believed God and was accounted for him as righteousness. When situation seems looks um, impossible, what God expects me at that particular situation is to have faith. Faith for me then is righteousness. You know, righteousness is wisdom. The Bible talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When I lack wisdom, I want to, I need to understand God's will at that particular, for that particular situation. That's wisdom and that's righteousness. So righteousness for me is aligning my will, my desire, my character, my nature and action with the will of God. So that's righteousness for me. I love it, Timmy. I love it. And Timmy, it is so good to have you back, Timmy. Like Mark said, don't stay gone so long, Timmy. <laughs> it's good to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yeah. This, this, this alignment that Timmy was talking about, listen, this is something that we not only must see, because listen, what Timmy was saying, and I love it, this is what the Lord shared with me and shared with Brenda. Seeing these concepts is not doing them. Seeing them is the first step. How do we engage? How do we activate these principles? How do we activate the righteousness that is inside of us? It happens on a day-to-day -day with decisions, with the way we entreat our husband, our wife, with the way we entreat our children, with the patience we employ. All of those things are available to us, but many times we don't take the time to ask God, Lord, I need strength. I need you to help me before I even 
speak the words because I need you to go before me. Because if I go in my flesh, I'm not gonna, it's not gonna work out right. I need you to go before me and to and to give my words grace that it will not be personal. When I deal with this person, it would not be personal. It will be principle. So the emotions can be removed from it and the principle can remain. Mark, it'd be great to hear from you, Mark. Beautiful. Yes, Kevin. Um, and everybody, I think, uh, now I'm clear. Uh, I'm sure my voice is very clear. Strong, strong, Mark, yeah. Um, it's a very beautiful conversation we're having about righteousness. And, um, and number one, I, I felt like um, on Sunday, just past the Sunday, I was talking about principles of system building. And um, basically, I had to pull back to start talking about um, the very foundation upon which systems are built. And one of the very key things I started looking at was righteousness and justice. And so let me say that it is almost as if this coming Sunday, I should be taking Kelvin's note and go out there and teach on the power of righteousness. Because the Bible says two scriptures, I think all in Proverbs, it says that the foundation of God the foundation of God's throne is established on righteousness and justice. Number two, um, the scripture also says that by righteousness, a king reigns and establishes throne. So right from the realm of eternity and in the realm of humanity, for there to be a very uh, potent, solid, and powerful attraction to the center where everything orbits around um, truth, judgment, correctness. There is the need or the call for righteousness. So I want to say that righteousness is who we are. Once we have hit Christ, it is who we are. The throne of God ceases to be God's throne immediately righteousness as one of the components is missing out of judgment. When truth and mercy is gone, when judgment is gone, the throne of God ceases to be. And one of the key principles or the, sorry, the key um, drivers, reality of what the throne of God actually is, is righteousness. And if God is righteous, if that is what he is, his throne, everything he does extrudes out of that. And we who have become born again, that is what we are. And so going to live righteous is not what we do, but we start living from that core aspect of our existence and our power. Where, like Kelvin was talking about, how God has to talk to him about his throne. I remember few months ago, something happened. I think I spoke to the children or one of them. And while I was driving um, on the road, I felt the Lord saying, you were too hard. You don't do it that way. You were too hard. <laughs> that is God's complete righteousness seeking to live out of the milkiness and the fallen nature and explode on the outside to get things right. 
So I just want to say that something that righteousness is who we are. And we trust God for grace and we live powerfully out of that existence. I mean, those could be my first few remarks. Thank you. Oh boy. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I'm telling you, I love it. Righteousness is who we are. Once we step into Christ, that's who we are. And I saw two laws. I, I saw two laws and I saw the two laws with Timmy, what Timmy said. Um, we have to move like uh, for swimming, in swimming. You go to the three feet or you go to, uh, for, your, for your knees, to water to your knees. You keep going into the deeper part of the, of the pool of the, of the water. At some point, your feet will not be able to touch the bottom. You can remain buoyant but you have to switch laws. You have to go from standing to floating. And when people can't make that transition, that's when they panic and they drown. There's something that is supposed to work automatically that fear interrupts. And so when we have maximized our faith, like Timmy was saying, when faith, uh, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him why? Because he, he completed his faith crossed the finish line. And the reward Abraham got for his faith crossing the finish line was righteousness. Righteousness is the full maturity of faith. It is the crowning moment of faith. It is, it is when faith has reached its end, it, it transitions into righteousness. It's known as righteousness. And that's why James says, after being tested in the book of James, he says, you will receive a crown of life. You will receive a crown of life. There's something that you get as a result of going through that process. You born into something else. You transition from standing to floating. And we have to switch. We have to know how to switch these these laws from the law of standing to the law of floating so that we can remain buoyant. But like Mark said, this is who we are. When we step into Christ, we are righteous. We are born of you cannot be in Christ and not be righteous. It is who we are. It is, uh, I don't know. I mean, how can water flow through a pipe or a hose and not get wet? <laughs> It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just who we are. It's, it's who we are. It's, you can't separate wet from water. <laughs> it's what it is. <laughs> water is wet and wet is water. And, you know, it's liquid. So that's the thing. So, but I want us to see in addition to the power, the joy, the dignity of this walk. This is a dignified walk. This is an honorable walk. This is, I'm telling you, to be able to be adorned in righteousness, what a privilege, what a joy, what, a, what an honor for God to bestow his character, the essence of who he is on his children. I love it. I love it. I love it. Anyone else? This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Anyone else? Any additional thoughts? 
on this issue of righteousness. Thank you all for your contributions. You, you know, we always say we have the mind of Christ. It's expressed corporately. So when we hear from each other, we're getting more of the mind of Christ. We're getting a fuller and broader expression of his mind. Anyone else? Beautiful. All right. Very good. Okay, well, let's, let's do this. Let's go further. Let's go further. Um, we looked at the benefits of righteousness, benefits of righteousness. And it says here, say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him. Well with who? The righteous. Why? For they will eat the fruit of their doings. That's Isaiah 3 and 10. They will eat the fruit of their doing. Say to the righteous, not to the unrighteous, to the righteous. Then when we see the righteous, we, we, we have to consider that this is a category or a group or a, someone distinct from the rest, the righteous. It will be well with him, with the righteous, for they shall eat the fruit of their doing. Isaiah 3 and 10, that's King James Version. Next bullet point, behold, the righteous will be recompensed in the earth, payment, much more the wicked and the sinner, they're gonna be paid too, but the righteous will be recompensed in the earth, will be paid, that's Proverbs eleven thirty one. The righteous will be recompensed in the earth, much more the wicked and the sinner. And then the third bullet point, the power of righteousness is seen in the fact that it has capacity to deliver. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him, here it is, for the many afflictions, out of them all. The deliverance has the last word even over afflictions. Many afflictions of the righteous. And we, you know, this was one thing, you all, that I had difficulty with. I had difficulty with good people suffering. And you know, this, this is my human, this is my human wisdom. <laughs> it's laughable. This is my human wisdom trying to be applied to God's program. Are you kidding? <laughs> so anyway, the power of righteousness is seen in fact that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I wanna share something with you that the Lord showed me. It had to be him because I, I could never see it. And it is found in Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah 30 and verse number 20. Isaiah 30 and verse number 20. This is something that the Lord enlightened my eyes to. It really, it helped me. It said here, and though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see 
your teachers. And the Lord showed me in this passage, Isaiah 30 and 20, and it's helped me with this issue of many are the affliction of the righteous, because righteous people are not supposed to be afflicted. See, that's what the human mind says, and it's not true. Notice what the, now notice what it says here. This is Isaiah, I'm reading out of New King James, Isaiah 30 and 20. And though the Lord gives you, this is coming from the Lord. What is it? Bread of adversity and water of affliction. Why would he say bread and water? Why would he classify it as bread and water? These are the things that sustain life. These are the things that sustain life, bread and water. They are the things that are necessary for life. He says, though he gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, he's paralleling the adversity and the affliction as bread and water, necessity for life. What kind of life? Our spiritual life. And it says here, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. What do you put in the corner? Something that you disregard. What do you put in the corner? Something that you punish. Something that you, you know, when we were young in school, they would tell us to go and uh, stand in the corner and face against the wall. That's what they used to do to put us on, on a timeout or punishment or, do, you know, to, to bring correction to us. Look at the wall and you stand there for two or three minutes, you know, until the teacher tells you to go because you were talking in class. So your teachers will no longer be put in the corner. What is that? What is that? They won't be put in the corner. You won't disregard them anymore. Your eyes will see your teacher. In this passage, what is the teacher? The teacher, the teachers are two things. The teachers are adversity and affliction. The Lord says, you're not going to see them anymore with disdain, putting them in a corner, but your eyes will see them as your teachers. We will recognize the benefits that adversity and affliction bring. It's temporary. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. It's the food, it's the bread, it's the water. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. Why? Because it's not punitive. It's developmental. It builds us. It doesn't tear us down. The righteous, this is the, this is the weights, weightlifting. This is the weights for the righteous. This is how righteous people build muscle through adversity and affliction. They're like bread and water. They're necessary for strong believers in the Lord, sons of righteousness. I'm telling you, if you would be honest along with me, you will know that everything you got that was good in your life now that came from God did not come through ease. It did not come through, uh, through comfort. It did not come through relaxation. It came through pain. It came through suffering. And that's why David said, uh, or it may have been uh, Asaph in the 119th Psalm, it was good for me that I was afflicted. How can a human being say that? It was good for me that I was afflicted. Why? Because it was one of the teachers that taught me in my way of righteousness, my way of righteousness. So that's Psalm 34 and 19. Many of the afflictions are, are the righteous, are the righteous, but the Lord delivers him 
out of them all. That is the promise we have, that after a while, class will be dismissed. If we give ourselves to these processes, class will be dismissed. And we will go to graduation. We will go to the next level of development. The school of righteousness, the power of righteousness, the word of righteousness, the law of life, it is, it is who we are. It is who we are, as Mark said, it is who we are. Okay, the quality that righteousness produces is seen and how it brings complete and thorough deliverance. What we just read, but the Lord delivers him out of them all, out of them all, not leaving one. He delivers us out of them all. He delivers us. Verse 39, but the salvation of the righteous. This is Psalm 37, 39 through 40. Psalm 37, 39 through 40. It's a different scripture here. Psalm 37, 39 through 40. This is what it says. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. The salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. Verse 40. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. That's Psalm 37, 39 through 40. Psalm 37, 39 through 40. I love that. Salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. Why? Because his eyes are upon the righteous. He doesn't forsake the righteous. We'll see that in a moment. He is their strength in the time of trouble. Oh my goodness, no wonder we make it. No wonder we make it. It is not our strength that we make it on, it's his strength. It's the benefit of the righteous to have the strength of the Lord. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? because they trust in him. And I have a slide a little bit further on toward the end of this presentation here that deals with why righteousness can be trusted. Why righteousness can actually be trusted. The righteous way, the righteous life can be trusted. We're gonna look at that, okay. The righteous is delivered out of trouble and the wicked cometh in his stead. Wow. So the wicked is headed for trouble and the, and the righteous are delivered from it. The role reversal in, in uh, Proverbs 11 and eight. So the power of righteousness causes the reversal of something intended for the righteous to come upon the wicked. That's power, that's power. That's power. Something that's headed for us turns and, and, and boomerangs on the wicked. That's, that's Proverbs 11 and 8. Even the righteous posterity, that's our children, will be delivered. Though hand join hand in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. But seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Oh, I thank God for that promise. I'm telling you, I thank God for that promise today. I thank God for that promise today that the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. 
and Brenda and I and, uh, and others are in a faith fight. We are in a faith fight. And this is one of the things we have to stand on is that the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Shall be delivered. The seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Yes. Because we are born of him. We're righteous. It's who we are. All right. Let's look at what happened, the seed of the righteous, and this issue overspilling into uh, Abijam's uh, life. Abijam's life. Let's see here. Let's see if I have a seed here. Praise God. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Let's look at this. Abijam became king over Judah. This is First uh, Kings 15, 1b, the B portion of verse 1, and then we're going to go 3 through 5. First Kings chapter 15, the first verse, the B portion of that verse, verses 3 through 5. Let's look at this. Abijam became king over Judah, and he walked in all of the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Nevertheless, verse four, for David's sake, look at the power of righteousness. For David's sake, the seed of the righteous is blessed. For David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem. There's your grace, brother. Uh, there's, there's your grace, uh, um, my brother. There's, there, there it is right there. That, that's where it is right there. Getting something that we don't deserve. Getting something that we don't deserve. That's it. That's it. Getting what we don't deserve. Look at this. <laughs> oh, my God. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord, look at the goodness of God. Ooh, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Verse five, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned, that's a typo there, and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him, watch this, in all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Lord have mercy. God never, every time you see David, that's always a tag. And, and even in Matthew chapter one, it talks about, you know, David who was born, you know, so-and-so done the 42 generations in Matthew chapter one is going on. And, and David who uh, married Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Woo, even in the gene genealogy, that was always a remembrance there. That you read all of the stuff that David did. When you read that story about David and what he did to Uriah, you always keep reading the scripture, just keep coming. But the thing that David did displeased the Lord. It displeased the Lord. See, that's the thing. Not if I'm adult enough to do it or not to do it. <laughs> the issue is, does it please the Lord? We are all adult enough to do it. 
But the issue is, does it please the Lord? I can say it, but does it please the Lord? I can do it, but does it please the Lord? So righteous people begin with the question, will this glorify God in what way or will it not? Will it please the Lord or will it not? Okay, all right. Uh, I wanna take a break here and uh, let's do some more talking and let's see what, uh, let's see what we have to say about these things here. Just come on, anybody just with your comments. Anything you saw inside of this? Talking about the power of righteousness, the power of righteousness. Looking at, you know, even though David's son was wrong, the Lord remembered David. David did what was right in his eyes and his life became the sacrifice that, that spoke up and covered his children, his son. Boy, all right, anybody? Mark, I, I see. I see your mic is open, but I'm not not hearing you. Mark, are you there? Okay. All right. Lord, give my brother that powerful mic back because I want to hear I want to hear what he has to say I want to hear these comments anyone else anyone else you have you want to make a comment about this issue of righteousness what do you what do you see yeah still saving some okay thank you Mark thank you thank you Mark we, we're going to uh, we believe that it's going to be rectified because we need to hear from you we need to hear these comments tonight from you um, this issue of righteousness issue of righteousness Mm-hmm. Yes, Colin. Yes, Mark. There you are. Okay, Mark. Okay. Um, there's a scripture in the book of Proverbs that comes to mind. And also in the book of Jew. It says, if a man is, I'm just trying to paraphrase it. If I could find it, let me see. Uh, it says something like, If a man is righteous, let me just be sure if I can find righteous. Um, let me be sure. Book of Job. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah. <clears throat> it's in Job chapter 35, the verse 7. It says, if you are righteous, what do you give to him that is to God? Or what does he receive from your hand? The benefits that Kelvin, you've enumerated. You are so rich. You are so powerful. And that we have no choice to begin to live out of who we are. 
I remember, I'll tell you a story. I remember some years back when I was coming up in the things of the prophetic. I have grabs over the framework around the prophetic as to why the prophetic needs to operate within a certain context. Why it needs to operate the way it needs to operate. But there was um, no capacity to give birth, no capacity to manifest some of these things. So I remember there was a friend of mine. We went on a three-day fast and we came back. The one day he told me, he said, you just have to start operating. You just have to start operating. I found the statement to be quite strange. How do you just have to start living it? How do you leave this righteousness? Then one day, I was reading through the scriptures in 2 Kings chapter 2. I discovered that Elijah, when Elijah was taken, nobody taught Elijah to start operating. I'm just bringing this analogy to apply to the principle of walking in righteousness and the issue of what good does it do to God? What does he gain from us if we are righteous, if we walk in our righteousness? By the way, the, 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 the writer of Psalms, I think Psalm 103 says that I walk uprightly in my house. When he comes to watch over me and inspect me, I walk before him. So I discovered that Elisha, when Elijah was taken, he just pulled his mantle and struck the water and there it was. Everything parted into two. And that statement from the friend, my friend, the prophet friend, that said, you just have to go ahead and start operating in this game, resounded. And I realized, ooh, this is it. Um, fishes don't struggle to swim. Dogs don't struggle to bark. Bears don't struggle to fly. Swim goes with fishes. Fly goes with birds. And so righteousness goes with us. And it behoves on us to begin to yield ourselves to that inner life. So it will begin to creep into every dimension of our arrangements. Begin to lay hold of the contortedness. Look, there is, there is a word in the Old Testament that is referred to as the, the, the dabar of the Lord. Where the prophets go out and say, thou sayest the Lord. The analogy is that the dabar of the Lord comes into my environment. It begins to reconfigure the environment to fit that spoken word. The conditions present in my environment may not be con consistent with the very word of God or the future or the expected end that has been spoken or predicted by the prophetic word. But by the prophetic word that is spoken, it carries in it the ability and power to begin to recraft the environment to align every granular uh, component of it to begin to manifest that word. And I believe as Kelvin is teaching this and as we're discussing it, the Lord is like pouring water on us and literally stirring us up and activating like, like a silent earthquake to cause this thing to emerge 
beyond human power, human ability, human planning. And um, I'm, I'm setting this goal and all of this I will do. There is, there is a dimension in God that is righteousness by itself. That is, that is self-generating self, um, by itself, self-empowering, self-invigorating. And we want to yield to it. And the benefit touches us more than God. If you are righteous, what, does, what do you give to him? What has he gained from your hand? Thank you, Kelvin. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. What powerful, powerful insight there. It's uh, birds don't struggle to fly. Fish don't struggle to swim. Um, most of you on this, this call right here, you speak more than one language. How many of you all pray before you transition into your next language? It's just you just you just transition. You just you just start speaking it, and and in the same way, this is what I saw when Mark was saying that about. Here's the key word: it's seamless. It's seamless. Water doesn't have to struggle to be wet. It's the nature of what it is, and so. I really believe what Mark was saying, and I hope we captured this prophetically, that things are coming to us today through this word. I'm a beneficiary. I'm a beneficiary of this word as well. I'm listening right along with you that it, the key word here is seamless, that righteous is seamlessly flowing through our spirit right now. There's an activation of seamless righteousness flowing through us now. We just must be aware that we are the righteous, not trying to get righteous. We are the righteous. It's how we stand in him. We're not trying to be righteous. We are righteous. We are righteous. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Mark. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Any other thoughts? What are you seeing inside of this component of righteousness? Theo, is your mic open? I don't know. Something's going on there. Do you have? Okay. All right. Very, very good. Very good. Let's let's move on. Let's let's go. Go, go further now. Um, this is really something. Did you? Okay, okay. Brenda's here. She wasn't with us in the beginning, but she's here now. She's taking care of some business for the family. So here she's back. Yeah, hello, everyone. I, I just wanted to say from the part that I heard, um, it, you talking on righteousness, it came to me when Jesus said, unless your righteousness mm -hmm exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, yeah. you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. He is our righteousness. Mm -hmm. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're not struggling to do. We are doing to become like him. Mm -hmm. He's our righteousness. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. When when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they went for fig leaves. That was to cover themselves from the shame of their fallenness. And what the Lord was showing them and showing us through that example was that you just can't grab fig leaves and cover yourself. That's what the sad, the Pharisees did. They covered themselves. It was self-righteousness, right. self-righteousness. And so um, the Lord Jesus was warning us against self-righteousness. You can't cover yourself. If God creates a law, this is, this is the law that he instituted. If God creates a law and then the law is broken, he prescribes the punishment for that law. You can't come up with the punishment, right? So that's how the Adam and Eve had to witness that innocent animal being killed and blood being shed and God covered them with skin as a reminder that what you're wearing carried a price. No price in fig leaves, but there was a price for the skin that you're wearing that covers you. Now, when I see you clothed in that, I'm reminded of the blood. And so that picture was a picture of what Jesus would later come and do for us, right? And uh, and, and you know, bringing salvation and that, that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. it's. It's God's system. We can only remedy it by doing what he prescribes. That's the remedy. He comes up with the law and the cure, and he comes up for the punishment that is prescribed when the law is broken. We can't come up with our own. And that's what the Pharisees did. You all do this. We're not going to do it, but you all do this. And that's why the Lord said our righteousness has to exceed uh, not just sayers and not doers, that we have to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Thank you, Brenda. All right. Okay. Let's let's look at uh, let's look at this. In the previous passage, we see the power of righteousness being activated on behalf of someone who wasn't righteous, King Abijam, David's son, on behalf of the one who was righteous, David. While this may be puzzling to some. But the way God registers righteousness is not the way human structures or systems do. His righteousness is a righteous judgment born from the purity of his sovereignty. The Bible says, and the scripture, every time I read the scripture, I always think of my dad. He's still living. He's 93. He's retired. Uh, and... Um, he, this is a scripture that he, he liked to quote. And um, this is in Romans 11 and 33. New King James. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. How unsearchable are his judgments, which means what? We can't trace him. We cannot track him. We can't trace him. We can't trace him. Why? Because his judgments are unsearchable. They don't have a pattern. 
his righteousness and sovereignty is the pattern. <laughs> not, not, not by the case, by his sovereignty. That's how he determines his judgment. And that's why it's a righteous judgment. Because it is born from the purity of his sovereignty. Born from the purity of his sovereignty. So the power of righteousness produces immovability. That's another expression of his power, immovability. The scripture says, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. Psalm 37 and 17 out of King James. For a just man, a righteous person may fall seven times and rise again but the wicked will fall into mischief. Uh, I, I wanted to know, how can a righteous man fall seven times? And the Lord showed me because he's falling forward, not falling away from God, walking away. He's falling forward. So he's learning in righteousness. So his falls are, are, are being calculated in his development. He's falling toward the Lord in repentance. He's falling toward him, not falling away. And that's why a righteous man can fall seven times because he's righteous. He's not falling to disobey. He's falling in learning. And sometimes when he's not doing what's right and he falls, God brings correction, and, but he's falling forward. That's why he can fall seven times. Because he's learning righteousness. All right, we're, we're gonna come in for a landing here. The scripture says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer or allow or permit the righteous to be moved. If that's not power, I don't know what it is. Cast your burden upon the Lord. This is his invitation and he shall sustain us. He shall never allow the righteous to be moved. That's Isaiah 55 and 22. Also, it says something very similar in Proverbs 10 and 30. The righteous shall never be moved. A man shall not be established by wickedness. Here it is. But the root of the righteous shall not be moved. The root of the righteous shall not be moved. Why? Because the root of righteousness is Jesus. He's immovable. <laughs> That's what we're born of. So we're born of him. We are born of that root of the righteous shall not be moved. I'm telling you. When we, and this is why the scripture says, awake unto righteousness. Come alive in your perspective to righteousness. Let's awake to righteousness. Let's wake to the realization of what God has called us to be and to do. This is, this is exciting. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm getting fed. I'm, I'm getting fed. I'm getting fed off of this. The wicked are overthrown and are not. That's it for them. But the house of the righteous shall stand. We see these comparisons. See, we see the comparison, how the wicked go and how the righteous go. How the wicked live and how the righteous live. How the wicked end and how the righteous end. So that's in Proverbs 12 and, 12 and 7. The wicked are overthrown and are not. That's the end of them. Once they're overthrown, that's it. But the house of the righteous shall stand. 
I love that. The house of the righteous shall stand. Even against the onslaught. Even against the onslaught. Stand. Stand. Beautiful. Okay. We're going forward here. We've got only two more. Let me one, one more slide and then that'll be it. The oversight of God is upon the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. His ears are open to their cry. See, we're distinguishing here the righteous. That's us. The eyes of the Lord are upon the, the righteous and his ears are open to uh, their cry. Now, we know that God is spirit. He doesn't have eyes like us, but he is aware. He's mindful of us. No place we go, he's not there. If I make my bed in hell, the psalmist said, Psalm 139, 8b, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. And I wanted to know, Lord, how can you, if I make my bed in hell, how can you be there? And I believe I heard him say, in your memory, in your memory, you will always be reminded of my goodness. You will always be, you always will remember how good I was to you. I will be there in your memory. You go to hell, you will always have me in your memory. Yeah, he's there. He covers all space and time. You know, typically we look at all space and time as external, but my mind has space. My heart has space. My spirit has space. So he can invade that space as well. He can invade that space as well. Well, when you said that, I thought about before I got saved, how I can honestly say the times I made my bed in hell, he was with mm. me. Mm. <laughs> and delivered me. My God. You know, before, before, mm. before I got saved and I made my bed in hell, he was with me and delivered me. Boy. Brenda, just a little match over here, you all. I tell you, I, I got hit. I just, <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, when you think on God's goodness, we're talking about grace before and how grace is not a trampoline. It's a safety net. And um, mm, when I had no clue of the danger I was in and I was jumping on grace like a trampoline and God could have allowed that trampoline to be removed and that would have been the end of me. But his mercy, it's, incre it's incredible. It's incredible. He's there. I'm telling you, we have not seen or felt or experienced a love like this before. It's not human. Most of our love today is conditional. It's reciprocal. You do something for me, I, I, I love you back. I'll do this for you. But for God so loved the world that he gave first. And when we look at why God did it, he didn't, you know, he did not give his son so he can hold us at gunpoint. He gave us his son to give us a choice. We would not have had a choice to choose had he not offered Jesus. Oh, it's amazing. Okay. 
All right, I'm, I'm coming in for a landing. Brenda came in here and just messed me up. I was, I was trying to finish this lesson, but I started thinking about that. Man, and I started thinking about how good God has been and continues to be to me. Continues to be. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right. Oh, boy. Let's bring this in for a landing here. Just with these points so far, you all, we should be inclined to see that righteousness is as indestructible life. It's an indestructible life because it is made up of all that God is. It's made up of all that God is. It's an indestructible life because it's made up of all God is. Righteousness. Being the beneficiaries of righteousness means that our lives are constructed by God's covenant fidelity. There is nothing that could cause him to be unfaithful to us. He really doesn't need to make a promise because he doesn't lie and nothing can stand in his way from fulfilling his word to us. I can make you a promise and do everything within my power to do it. And factors outside of myself can prevent it from happening. God does not have that testimony. God doesn't have that testimony. There is nothing that keeps him from being God. Nothing. If God makes a promise, if God says I'm going to be there at this particular time, nothing stops. God doesn't need a car. He doesn't need an automobile. He's a present help in the time of trouble, right? So he doesn't even have to make a promise to us because he can't lie. But the promise, like it said about Abraham in the word of the Lord, he gave an oath for confirmation for Abraham. So he would have something to hold on to. God didn't have to be held to his word. He doesn't have to be held to his word. He's going to do it because he is righteous. He's righteous. Okay, going to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray this prayer. This little prayer I comprised here. Lord, help me understand the power of your righteousness. Help me live in a way that represents it to your pleasing, that you will be glorified. Let me live righteously so well that others would be inspired to emulate my life by coming to know you the author of my life. May I live each day remembering the righteousness made available to me to live from, being aware that I've been made into your image and after your likeness. Thank you for an unmovable righteousness founded in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark, over to you, my brother, over to you. Friends, it's been so wonderful. And we want to look out for the recording and listen to these things again. Secondly, we want to um, push this recording out, share with other friends. You know who is in need and you want to bless that person with um, the words that are coming forth. Remember that as the word of God is spoken, the very grace, the power is almost like a, a system of transportation that is bringing us into where we ought to be. So that word is transporting us from one location into another location of grace and power and divine enablement. We want to 
take full advantage of these things that have been spoken and trust the grace of God to bring us the grace of God to bring us through. So we appreciate you being on a call always, and we look out for uh, the recording and look out for the next meeting, which is coming Thursday. Kelvin, God bless you, sir. God bless you for sharing these things from your own life, your own walk, your own experience with God. And it's abounding onto touching us personally and transforming our lives. God bless you. God Thank bless you. Thank you, Mom. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Friends, it's good night. And stay blessed and look out for the recording. So good evening um, from this side. I'm excited uh, this evening and uh, I'm, I'm just happy that this meetings continues unabated. So I just want to welcome everybody this evening. Albert, I trust you are good. Uh, Kelvin, I trust you are ready. You can push the recording. Theo, I trust you are good. Claudia, is doubling in the background with several things as well as being the meeting. Zorina, good to see you. I was telling, um, was it Kelvin or somebody that um, because COVID um, um, seems to have repositioned itself a bit in some of the regions, some of you guys are returning to work. And when we have these meetings ongoing, you probably could be returning from work or could be in the office and all. But it's just so beautiful to have everybody in this uh, meeting this evening. Timmy is not here um, and, and every other person. Unica uh, um, is not with us also. I would want to say that let us continue to pray for every single individual that has touched base with us before. And this thing, is, is gaining momentum and is building capacity in the sand of time. I am particularly excited this evening for several reasons also. One, we are like a people who are, uh, whom I can describe as um, a righteous voters. We are sucking in and never satisfied. We, we, we desirous of God and seeking to know him and every revelation of him never satisfies us. There is more for us, and those are the things that continue to drive us. If you ever live in that space, you are driven by more of him, and the things that um, are yet to be unveiled to us, and you keep pressing and pushing the limits in the spirit, friends, I can tell you that it changes the way you live, it changes, um, the level of impact that um, um, you could create on humanity and the world around you, it allow heaven to stand attention to look in your direction because uh, somebody said the unexamined life is not worth living. So as we continue to press in examining the word of God and discovering spiritual pathways, pushing the limit in the spirit, we begin to give to God um, that trust, we, we kind of are saying, Lord, we, Lord, you can trust us. Our hands are safe to hold. Uh, we provide you capacity, compartments, until the finish. 
So without much ado, I'm excited as we get back into the word of God and Kelvin lead us. We could call this time the time or this Thursday or the Thursday with Kelvin Chambliss. So Kelvin, over to you, sir. Let's set sail and let's bask in God's glory. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And again, it is so good to be here uh, on this Thursday uh, Zoom meeting. Uh, as Mark was playing the music uh, before we got on, um, the status quo, they, they kept saying about the status quo just won't do. And it was, it's, it's my heart's cry, and I'm sure it is yours, yours too. And so when we come to these meetings, we come to really receive from the Lord. And I'm grateful for each of you and good, as Mark said, to see Zarina back and, uh, and um, everyone, uh, Theo, uh, Claudia, uh, everyone who is, who is here, grateful to God for, uh, for each of you. So as Mark says, let's set sail and let's go here to, uh, to I wanna share my screen here. I can stop share there and I go back and just see where, where I'm at. Here I am. Okay. All right, everyone. We, we're going to uh, look at this issue of the power of righteousness too. The power of righteousness number two. Um, we're going to look at Job as a case study, and um, we're going to examine uh, some areas of his life. And I just pray that it, it, it blesses you. I am um, getting stuck here. I'm going to do it in a different way. Bear with me just one second here. Okay. All right. Let's see if I can get out of here. Okay. All right. All right. Let's let's look at this. Now, we've been talking about righteousness or righteousness. And in this particular time, we want to apply it to a person. Righteousness, uh, the first bullet point says is a revealer. It reveals something about God. It reveals something about his character and his people who are righteous in the earth. So we see that righteousness is a revealer. It reveals something. Um, the Bible talks about how the righteousness of God is revealed unto men. The second bullet point, if righteousness is not exemplified by those called to be, it weakens the image of it, not the essence. The image of righteousness is how it is marketed in the earth. The essence is the source and the indispensable quality of it. That's God. He can never be, uh, his image can never be marred. All right, beautiful. The image of righteousness is one thing, but the essence or the source of it can never be marred. It's the indispensable quality of God. So when we talk about righteousness, that's who God is. That's his character. And we, as his children, take on his character. We have the DNA of God. So we demonstrate uh, righteous acts and righteous deeds. And righteousness becomes who we are. So we ensure that the image, third bullet point, we, we must ensure that the image and the essence of righteousness remains balanced in its expression in the earth by conscious application and adherence to its virtues. 
Righteousness has virtues, as we'll discuss here in a moment, and we will see how the righteousness brings this issue of power into our lives. So um, in this bullet point, I want to, I on, on this page, I want to see righteousness is a revealer. It reveals something about God. It reveals something about his character. It reveals something about his people who are righteous in the earth, that's us. And we want to maintain the image of righteousness in the earth and keep it strong. We wanna keep it strong. We wanna keep it balanced so that the image and the essence are both shining through, all right? So let's go to the next bullet point here, the next page. As we look further into the power of righteousness, we witness a great example of righteousness in the life of Job. And in Job chapter one, verses one through three, New King James is what it says. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys and very large households so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. That's Job chapter one, one through three. So here is the presentation of Job to us. It is revealing what we find out that he is the man that lives by virtues, blameless, upright, feared God, shuns evil, he has a beautiful family of 10 children, seven sons, three daughters. He has a tremendous possession, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys and a very large household. So that his deal with this, we're gonna come back to this point, but this is just the introduction to Joe. Now let's look at how history records Job chronologically. The first thing we see in Job's introduction was the epicenter of his life, his architectural composition. He was blameless, upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. This was at the epicenter of Job's life the architectural composition, the makeup of his character, what was inside of his righteousness. There was blamelessness. He was upright. He was one who feared God and shunned evil. Now, just for the sake of this study, let's consider these four attributes as righteous pillars, righteous pillars in Job's life. Blameless was a pillar. Upright was a pillar. One who feared God was a pillar and shunned evil was a pillar, four pillars that upheld Job in his life. And as we will continue to discuss this and, um, and, and broach this issue of Job, I want us to consider, consider these things as, as we will be looking at righteousness, but I want us to consider how important these values and virtues and principles and pillars are even in our lives today. Okay, let's look at blameless. 
Blameless means without moral blemish or morally whole, innocent of wrongdoing, and to be without guilt. The Hebrew word is tamim, which means complete or finished. So it's not task-oriented. Blamelessness is not task-oriented. It refers to the state of a person. This does not mean sinless. It means that the charges of the accusers don't apply. The charges of the accuser don't apply. All right, the next thing, and I could have gone on to more things about blamelessness, but I just wanted to keep this part concise. Um, there's a lot that can be said about blameless and all of these things, actually. The next thing is he feared God. Job was aware of and revered and submitted to God's majesty. Job was aware and revered and submitted to God's majesty. Number three, upright. The Hebrew word yasar, yasar, pertains to that which is vertical or erect, upright, means unchanging standards, correctness, genuineness, and forthrightness. The, this is what was comprised of being upright. It means that he was an upstanding guy. He was, it means he, he didn't change his standards. He, was, he believed in correctness and being genuine and being forthright. And finally, he shunned evil. He rejected the opposite of God's character. He was rejecting the opposite of God's character. <clears throat> this is the makeup of Job. When he is introduced to us, these qualities, these virtues, these principles were already existing inside of him when he's introduced to us. So clearly, he had built these things in his life over time. And when we meet him, he's doing what he's always done, okay? So uh, this issue of blameless, I wanna talk a little bit about that um, because I was concerned about blameless. I was concerned about it because, you know, what if the enemy can point a finger at you of accusation? And that's when the Lord reminded me that it, it doesn't stick, it doesn't apply. It won't adhere to you because, because the righteousness gives it no credibility. It gives it no, no credibility. So we can live blameless here in the earth. Not that someone cannot lay a charge to you, but it just is not true. It doesn't stick. So that's the difference with the issue with right, uh, blameless on, on that part there. And then fearing God, Job was aware and he revered and submitted to God's majesty. We can break each of these down and just meditate on them and what it means for me to be blameless, what it means for me to fear God. What does it mean for me to be upright in every instance, in every instance that I don't change my standards, that the correctness and the genuineness and the forthrightness are evident, that I'm not pushy, that I, I, I convey and I, I radiate the love of Christ the love of Jesus, I, I maintain the standard of holiness and purity, you know, in front of people and apart from people. And this is what made Job so powerful. The righteousness that was in his life made him so powerful. And when it came to evil, he kept rejecting the opposite 
of what God's character was because that righteousness was resident inside of him and it kept rejecting things that were opposite to God's character. Job stood for something. He stood for something. All right. So these righteous pillars are vital when installed as a practice in a person's life. Collectively, they become the indestructible resilience that causes one to endure. Righteousness fights for us. Righteousness fights for us. It testifies for us. It fights for us. It is a stationary pillar. Righteousness is. It's indestructible. And it causes us to be resilient and to endure collectively when these things are, are all active, all right? And righteousness, in order to fight for us, must be established in the human spirit in order to be exported. Righteousness is filtered through us by the spirit of God. Righteousness is filtered, the expression of it. It's filtered through us by the Spirit of God. The essence of who God is. And what I like to say is that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you a Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we, we won't act any different than what his nature and character is. Um, these things about the Lord, uh, I find that you know, is um, these things, these things about the Lord is just really, for me, a, um, it, they just embed themselves inside of my mind and have to become real. I want them to become real and living. Um, that's why I love this group so much. I love this group so much. We've never met personally, but when I come into this space, this kingdom learning space, this kingdom learning space, coming out of Ghana, Tema, uh, Ghana, um, I, I just, I feel like I'm, I'm inside of something. I'm inside of it. I'm, I step into it. And it's amazing how we, this, this happens through Zoom and, and there's a longing, I can feel it. There's a longing when we're not in this space to return to it because God is here. He's here. His righteousness is here. His spirit is here. And it may not fit the profile of, of what people may think or what they may constitute as, you know, there are Zoom calls that have two and 300 people on them. You know, they don't feel like this. They don't feel like this. Um, that there's an expectancy that we have. Um, on this call, I, I can sense it. I can sense it. There, there's a there's an expectancy each week. We're looking for the Lord. We're looking for Him. I can I can feel it, and I love this space. It's a clean space. It's clean. It's precious. It's it's a pristine spirit on this call, and I I thank God for for, for Mark and. Um, and giving me this opportunity, not just to speak, but to participate, to be here and to serve wherever he would have me. Um, he told me, and I mean it. He said, he, he said, you know, well, Kelvin, what is it? I said, Mark, I'm at your disposal, brother. I'm at, I'm at your disposal. 
however you want to use me. You know, if not, I'll just, you know, I'll come and just listen and, but whatever. That's, that is my heart on this call. That's my heart on this call. And I, and um, I love being around him. And I talk about this a lot because Mark's heart is after God and that's infectious. That's infectious. Really, that's infectious. So if I can say anything about my brother, you know, a lot of times we you know, talk about a person's accomplishment, but that's the thing that does it for me, his heart for God. I want that, you know, and he was talking about how unquenchable this appetite is. This is it. This is it. We want righteous pillars to be established in our very being so we don't breach, we don't collapse, we don't fall, we don't cave in. That we're people who can stand because in the day we're living in um, where we need so much more bandwidth to make it through our days, so much more endurance, so much more capability. We need the righteous power flowing through our veins on a daily basis, giving us the ability to live and to shine and to show up uh, in a Christ-like way. We need that. We need that. And that's why we've been talking about righteousness and uh, we're looking at, at Job as an example here. This is beautiful. All right. What are the tenets or the principles inside of Job that caused him to be committed to his conviction? You know, I, I, can, I can relate about not being committed to my conviction because things got hot things got hot, the circumstance got hot. I was talking to a gentleman who uh, uh, is an investor and um, I don't know much about investing, but I know what I heard the Holy Spirit say and I told him what the Holy Spirit told me. I don't know anything about invest this gentleman in who studies it every day. And um, so I was telling him about a particular stock that was gonna go back and return lower than its original offering. And uh, I just heard what the Holy Spirit said. And he told me, there's no way, there's no way to, I mean, it, it had shot up so high. And um, I told him and he called me back and he said, I do not believe, Kelvin, I do not believe this. I don't believe my eyes. And he went and he bought some at a lower price. But again, this this whole issue here is, not about, about man or about what works, what doesn't work, but having a heart of righteousness. I, I love this about Job. I love this about Job. We're going to see some things here about him, but um, uh, he stood for something. He did not uh, implode or cower or relent when things got difficult because righteousness was established in him. It wasn't visiting. It was living in it, principles inside of Job that caused him to be committed to his conviction, even when things got hot. It's important for these qualities to be resident inside of a person before the testing. Job was volunteered by God because he saw the end from the beginning. Satan even asked for Peter in Luke 22 and 31. He said, Peter, Satan has asked for you and his desire to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith failed not. And when you've been converted, strengthen your brother, pass it on. 
Wonderful. So righteousness was resident inside of him before the testing. So when Job was volunteered by God, and we'll talk about this again in a minute, when Job, when Job was volunteered by God, God saw the end from the beginning. So what we commit ourselves to, third bullet point, what we commit ourselves to can be just as important as how we commit ourselves to it. What we commit ourselves to can be just as important how we commit ourselves to the things we commit ourselves to. Principles, blameless, upright, fear God, turned away from evil. And we're going to talk about why it was so that it was so it was so priceless for him to have those qualities resident inside of him. Finally, the last bullet point on this page: these righteous qualities are enduring. They will stand the test of time. Righteousness will stand the test of time. They are enduring qualities. When you are righteous, I'm telling you, there, there is a, uh, there's a quality that resides, but also a safety and favor that comes upon us. All right. Right, we'll go here to the next one. Job shows us what is possible in building one's life on hearing. He said in Job 42 and 5, at the end of this trial, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. So it's interesting how Job built the life that we now see and know just at this point off of hearing. Well, the Bible says, Romans 10, 17, second bullet point, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So Job built his life by listening, what he heard. He built his life on that. So righteousness, you all, is the crowning point of our faith. James 2 and 23 says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So it's when our faith crosses the finish line or meeting God's divine approval. It is seen as righteousness, the highest reward of our faith. So it's like running a race and you're running in faith. And then when you get awarded, your award for that faith is righteousness. When, when faith crosses the finish line, because faith does have an end, it transforms into righteousness. It is seen by God as righteousness. When the faith has been fulfilled, when it has reached its full maturity, God sees it as righteousness. So the end point of our faith is righteousness. And Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him. It was accounted to him. When Abraham showed God his faith and the offering of his son, I mean, he went all the way. I mean, Abraham went all the way. In his heart, he gave his son up and God saw it. And he said, Abraham, Genesis 22, Abraham, because you have offered yours, I can now give mine. I can now give mine. All right. I'd like to pause here for some conversation to see what what uh, you all have to say about what we've heard so far. Um, I can go back over any, uh, uh, any of the slides you would uh, like me to, that you wanna discuss or anything that triggers 
Anything in your, your mind or heart, you go back to those. But I'd like to hear from you. I really would like to hear from you on this issue of the power of righteousness. The power of righteousness. Any initial thoughts? The mic is open. Yes, Kevin, Mark here. Thank you, Mark. Okay, so um, there's something that you said, a couple of them that really um, got me thinking. And it made me go back to look at a couple of things said about Job. The first one was what God himself said about Job. When the meeting with the sons of God were happening and Satan showed up, God, I'm just trying to locate exactly. Um, yeah. So chapter God, one. Uh -huh. Job, Job chapter one. God himself said that now the Lord, in the verse eight, Job chapter one, it says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I'm left in absolute wonderment. Now, it says that there is none like him on the earth. What is God talking about? Is God serious? I am, I am on this side. I'm a righteous man. He's saying this. There's none like Job in the earth. I'm going up to something. He says, a blameless, upright man, the one who fears God and shuts it free. We see in um, this representation, and we can just clearly say that righteousness is like a singular standard in the earth, and nothing can compare. That is the first thing that strikes me when I heard you talk about staying committed to our conviction or righteousness, one of the very components or the inner workings of righteousness. That makes righteousness what it is, is that righteousness stays true to whatever convention it is that it has embraced from day one. And it's all true. It walks through all the storms. It walks through all the persuasive philosophies and the attractions that exist. I said, have you seen my servant Jew? Or have you considered, sorry, my servant Jew? That there is none like him. That this man, ordinary man, who has become a singular standard in the earth, in the midst of the corruption, in the midst of the sins, he stays true to that conviction and that work. And that he becomes a discussion between two spirits. I mean, Job becomes so important that God even can beat his chair and say, have you considered my servant? Uh, this thing is enviable. This thing is very provoking and may God um, help us. Now, there's something which is the second one. Let me see if I can find this scripture real quick. Um, also in, uh, in the book of Job and some of the things um, said about him, uh, just a moment. I don't know why 
I kind of have lost touch with. Um, uh, is Job 20 something? Just, just a moment. When. Take your time, Mark. This is good, man. Yeah. I'm still feasting on what you just talked about. <laughs> no, I am. I'm so provoked by that statement because how can I mark become a discussion between two spirits? That God can make a boast. God can beat his chest and say, I can count on him. I can go to bed. I mean, what, what God is saying is literally saying, is literally trying to say that, look, there is none like him in all the earth. So I can leave the earth in charge of Job. Job can take care of everything and nothing will go amiss. That if you can find Job in that environment, consider that I am there and everything will go according to. There is something about righteousness that speaks about heaven's design. Something about righteousness that speaks about heaven's design. Now, I have been talking few, uh, this few weeks, about four weeks now about um, principles of uh, um, building kingdom systems. Now, as we discuss principles of building kingdom systems, these are some of the things that can really make us build systems in the earth because locked up within it is design. Locked up within it is persuasion, conviction that I am impervious to the most attractive food. My meat is to do the will of him. Every other thing does not matter. It doesn't appeal to it. It doesn't provoke it. It doesn't shake it. It is almost as if, like Kelvin described it in his note, it is blind to every other persuasion. So that if God can make a boast of Job, we who are in the New Testament want to begin to think. Want to begin to think. What is it that Job had Then we who have the Holy Spirit does not have? Have you considered my servant Job? And we would we can go further into this discourse that truly it was Job's righteousness that actually provoked the satanic attack. I've said this before. Sometimes the battles that we fight are not as a result of the powers in our home, but by the righteous standard that we uphold in the workplace, in defending the weak, suddenly all hell breaks loose against you because that thing challenges the status quo. I'm trying to find this scripture. Let me see, I think I should be there. Good, Job 29. I just want to, I just want to read something about Job uh, in relation to righteousness because as Kelvin was speaking, this scripture um, clearly stood out in my mind and in my heart. Job 29. Please just listen to what it says. It says, Job further continues his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in the man's 
past, as in the days when God watched over me. When his lamp shone, shone upon my head, and when by his right, by his light, I walked through darkness. Please listen. It says, just as I was in the days of my pride, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent or my tabernacle, when the Almighty, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in cream, with cream, and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me. Now, pay attention to what Job is going to say and look at it as a righteous standard described of Job. When I went out by the gate, by the city, when I look at my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid, and the agent arose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and put their hand on their mouth. The voice of nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. One of the prayers I like praying about the wicked, those who just gossip and destroy people, let their tongue get stuck to the roof of their mouth so that they cannot spew out their diabolical intent. That's just by the way that we're talking about Job. When the ear heard, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw, when the eye saw, then it approved me because I delivered the poor who cried out. Just think about righteousness as that absolute standard that persuasive standard in society. And look at how Job describes himself. The fatherless and the one who had no help. Because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no help, the blessings of a perishing man came upon me. And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, oh God, and it clothed me. My justice was like a rope and a turban. I was eye to the blind. I was fit to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. Then I said, I shall die in my nest and multiply and that, 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 that. Friends, just, I am, I'm totally blown away because this coming Sunday, I'm still going to be talking about kingdom, the principles of kingdom, a building kingdom system. And this is something worth considering if we want to describe a holistic system. And the very base is this issue of righteousness. This is what Job looks like in the society that was all churned out without any moral compass or without any, any right compass. This guy was like the only person standing and he's all looking white and everybody is looking black. He seems to be, be, be impervious to the wind. He seems to be um, beyond the status quo. He seems to be what we can describe as, as, as um, non-conformist and that is called righteousness. Thank you, Kelvin. Thank you for provoking this. Thank you for for enriching us. Oh, this is beautiful, Mark. I tell you, I mean, the things that you've shared, 
I mean, can I've you, never seen that scripture. Kevin, can can you just permit me? Yes. Let me let me just let me just read something a little a little further. Verse nineteen. My root is spread out to the waters, and the dew lies at night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After my words, they did not speak again, and my speech settled on them as dew. They waited for me for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as for the spring rain. If I mocked at them, they did not believe it, and the light of my countenance they did not cast down. My God, I choose the way for them and sat as chief. So I dwelt as the king in the army, as one who comforts mourners. So I don't, I, I just can't place this anymore because this thing is all encompassing and it's all rambling. If the world around us is truly going to see the systems of the earth lifted and truly bring the, the good causes and the change and the hope that even the politicians promise, we must return not to the righteous standard, not to the gold standard, we must return to righteousness. And it begins with Christ. Thank you. Oh, that's beautiful. Mark, that is beautiful. I mean, that insightful 29th chapter of Job, I mean, I'm glad you finished it. It, um, it continues to speak. It continues to, to set a standard. It continues to, um, to reveal inside of us what's possible. Now, listen, I just want to just say, this, these are very lofty sounding concepts, very lofty, but they begin with a decision to do what is right before what is before me right now, that I'm honest, that I do not lie, that I, I, am, I, I live my life always under the purview of God and I know it, not just by what I do, but my internal heart that that he sees that as well so i'm being aware of righteousness that is as it is through his spirit flowing through me so it begins with decisions to be honest to be thorough to um to be different than those uh around you uh that maybe want to take shortcuts or maybe want to do this or do that righteousness is the singular standard it is the absolute standard it's the absolute standard and so um i'm just so encouraged by this uh, like mark said and i think that his words were um more appropriate uh provoking provoking and we're gonna i'm gonna talk about i was just listening i was listening we're gonna talk about why god volunteered job we're gonna see why he volunteered Job. Job was selected for a reason. It was selected for a reason. And so when we read the story and we consider the suffering 
he went through. If we're not careful, it can blind us to the honor bestowed upon him. You know, I mean, it's easy when we're not in pain to talk about pain. But when we're in pain, it's a very different thing. Mike, your, uh, your, mark, your, uh, your mic is open. Mark, please, come on. No. Mark, your, your mic is open. Oh, my mic is off. Did you want to say something? No, no, I'm fine. It's oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So, you know, you know, when we, when we let's talk about Job, we see the issue of his suffering and his suffering becomes more pronounced. It becomes more magnified than the honor of this man. Like Mark said, being chosen, being selected, being, being bragged upon to be selected. And we're, we're going to talk about why he was selected. But you all, there is something, and I'm not, I'm not lessening or uh, belittling going through pain and suffering. I don't like it. But one thing I do want to do, I want to please God. I want to please him. And so Job didn't seem like he was afraid to lose anything, even though he had a lot. It didn't seem like, I'm sure he didn't want to lose those things, but when he did, his life didn't fall apart. Was he sad? Yes. Was he grieved? Yes. He lost children. This is real. This, this thing can tear your heart out. But the Bible says, even with all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. He did not charge God foolishly. So there must come a perspective in the way we see righteousness that does not stop at pain and suffering, does not stop at inconvenience, that does not stop at threat, but it, it goes beyond that to a, a very strong desire to please the Lord, to please the Lord. And when Job said, though you slay me, yet will I trust you, that was not poetry. That was a conviction of his heart. That was revelation. He had come to that place in his love for God that he said, even if it came down to me being slave, I will go down trusting you. My God, my God, my God, I will go down trusting you. Because, you know, I mean, it comes down to what Peter said, you all. People were leaving Jesus because he started talking about, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you'll have no part with me. And people started leaving him. They thought Jesus lost his mind. They thought he was talking about can cannibalism. And he turns to Peter. He said, Peter, will you also walk away? And Peter says, where am I going to go? See, that's the thing. Many times people have options. But when we don't have options. That's the place where we have, we, we, you know, there's no more negotiation. If we make God our first and final option, 
that God, I can't leave you. I won't leave you. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. It's a, it's a conviction of the heart that is born out of revelation and sight. It really is. It's not a feeling. It goes beyond feeling. Because Jesus, and I'm so glad this passage of scripture was in there. Jesus, as righteous as he was, when he was praying in Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. For 33 years, Jesus knew this day was coming. It was always in his windshield. It was always in the forefront. Every day, he was getting closer to this day. And he got to the precipice. And he said, Father, if, there, if there's any other way. So to, to have these feelings about pain and suffering, Jesus did. So that's not a bad thing. The thing becomes, how far are we willing to go with him? How far are we willing to go with him? How far? You know, and when I consider his love for me and what he did for me, I mean, there are a lot of things I can't imagine, but telling him no is right about the top. Telling God, no, I can't do it. I can't. I mean, I just, I can't do it. All right. So it just gives us something to think about. It really, really does. Thank you so much, Mark. Is there anyone else with any thoughts on this? Any comments? What did you see? What are some initial impressions that are that's hitting your heart now? It's it's sobering, no doubt. It's sobering. This issue of righteousness, as I said before, we don't want to miss the honor inside of this trial, focusing on the pain. Because as bad as it looked, God gave grace to Joe. He gave grace. He gave grace. There was mercy, even though it didn't look like it. There was mercy there. And we're going to talk about this in our second half. But if there's someone else, do you have something you'd like to share about this, something you see? I'd love to hear from you. Yes, Kevin. Yes, Kevin. Yes, Mark. Um, my thoughts are are still rolling. I just um, began to think about why would the scripture say righteousness is all the nation? What is it about? About this thing that if a nation begins to find its way to walk in the fullness of this, it can speak to the fact that that nation will be assaulted. That nation will be assaulted. Then I started thinking about Abraham negotiating with God concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm wondering, look at the conversation. What if you find, is it 15? What if you find 10? What if you find um, five? God says, I will not destroy this nation. Then I think about the Bible saying the righteousness of the believing wife, saving the unbelieving husband. My God, 
this thing is really powerful. Just imagine in Ghana right now, there's something that is happening. There is a bill against, uh, I don't know if you know how to pronounce it, but it's a long-term LGB something, something Q plus. And they say the plus is you can add, is convoluted, you can add anything at all. And there is this group of politicians who have designed, some of them are lawyers, some of them are very learned, they are doctors, just a few of them. And they are parliamentarians, like the Senate in America. They've de designed a bill and proposed it to the Ghanaian parliament and the debate is on. And one of them happened to have been interviewed uh, by CNN. Kelvin, just imagine, or any of us, just imagine within our little cities and uh, states and countries, if we have, if we do have these caliber of people at the hem of affairs, righteousness exalts a nation indeed. God will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if indeed he could have found fire. May God help us. May God help us truly leave this thing out and build it. As we look at Job and look at the description of the, the platform of righteousness, the state of his righteousness, how it touches the varied dimensions of, of the society, this thing has power to redeem. Thank you. It really does. It really does. Uh, you know, I look at the mercy of God in negotiating with um, Abraham. And, 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 and it goes back to the passage of scripture that says, it's not his will that any should perish, but all should come into the knowledge of the truth. And what I see inside of what you just said about the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, we see Abraham standing there as an intercessor wanting to intercede, but the Lord allowed Abraham to walk all the way through it so he would gain God's perspective. Yeah, God, you're right. There's not even one righteous person here. I see why you're going to destroy it. But look at his willingness to walk with Abraham through that and to negotiate so that Abraham could come to a place of calibrated sight so he could see why God had made that decision and how God was not hasty in destroying and gave Abraham time to look for righteous people. Oh, I just see the righteousness of God in it. I see his mercy in it. I see his love in it. I see it in Abraham. I see it in God. It's a beautiful thing. But when, when, um, when God says he, he's going to destroy something, he is coming out of, a, out of his sovereignty that is totally righteous. His judgment, uh, Romans eleven thirty three said, are past finding out. We cannot trace his judgments. They're so varied. He makes, so, he makes judgments, not by one particular thing, but they're variable things, but they all come from a righteous standard. You know, I don't understand why God would make a decision um, like in uh, Hebrews 11, you all, where it talks about some were eaten by lions, others were spared. 
Some died by the sword, some didn't, you know? Um, some came back to life, others did not. All in that hall of faith. You had two different scenarios, but all of them came under that heading of faith, even though they had different outcomes, you know? So, um, yeah, this is really something. This is really something about righteousness. And I want to really encourage us to choose righteousness in every situation. Choose righteousness. Choose the standard of God. What is the standard of God? Uh, here in the States, we have um, um, people, if they want water, they'll give them a cup from the, uh, from the, the cash register. The cashier will give them a, uh, a cup. And there was a gentleman who was a musician at a church where I was in Illinois, um, like Chicago. And um, he, he said, he was listening to a message of mine. He said, you know what? I have to change my habits. I said, what happened? He says, I used to go up to the cashier, ask them for uh, a cup so I could get water. And water and soda was on the same uh, area, in the same area. And he would go and get soda asking for a water cup and God checked his conscience on that. And he said, I can no longer do it. I wasn't even preaching about it, but that's what righteousness does. It brings you and calibrates you to uprightness that your yay is yay and your nay is nay. Okay, uh, we see uh, Claudia, I see your hand. Come on, Claudia. Go ahead. The mic is yeah. yours. Um. Yeah, I was thinking about what you were saying, uh, Kelvin, because I remember in the, the community I belonged, it was so much task oriented and, you know, and, and, and doing and doing and doing all the time, obedience, doing, obedience, doing. And, and when you mentioned uh, some other characteristics that Job had, you said he was blameless. And it's not something, it's not something that is task oriented, but it is the state of a person. And so that was like, wow, you know, it's so different from what I am used to hearing or, or, you know, the people that I've been around is always being task oriented. And so I was kind of blown away, but at the same time, a bit confused. Um, and then, and then you said that righteousness, I wrote it down here. I mean, I, I saved it. It says righteousness in order to fight for us must be established in the human spirit in order to be exported. That was like, wow. And so if it's not, if it's not task oriented, it, then it's something that the Holy Spirit produces. Right. And, and, and then I, I concluded in my mind, like, it's the lack of the Holy Spirit then and the relationship with him that makes us not be righteous. Because right? if he is the one who produces it, then um, it's the lack of that communion or that fellowship or that guidance or leading from the Holy Spirit that produces a lack of, of, of righteousness. Am I right or am I wrong? What do you think? Yeah, that's 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 perfect. That's perfect, Claudia. That is that's it. It's his. It's, it is him in us. It is God in us, working 
the will and the do of his pleasure. The Holy Spirit, he, he influences us. He influences our decision. He, he influences uh, the way we, we behave and the way we respond. And so you can't separate the Holy Spirit from righteousness because he's 100% God. He's, he's, you know, they're one and the same. So absolutely. And so when we talk about righteousness being established in the human spirit, it must be installed. It must be, the, the, the righteousness must have roots and roots are developed over time. So as we continue our practices, see like with Job, Job didn't get there overnight. He committed himself to being blameless over and over and over again. Even when he was covering his children with sacrifices, you read there in the first or second chapter, the Bible said this he did regularly just to cover his children, just in case they did something that was unpleasing to God. So yes, it, it is, um, you know, it, it is practice. It's continual. As we continue to do it, it's like our roots go down. This is why I share about maturity and people who grow. We, we understand upward growth, but we talk very little about downward growth, about roots that go down under the earth and establish us. And that's what shows up when we go through storms, because those roots go down. Sometimes they wrap around rocks so that when the storm comes above ground, the, the tree will not fall because the roots are anchored around the rock. So it's a prophetic picture of the person who has roots in, in Christ, who wraps around the word and it keeps them from falling apart. But those things have to happen and they're practiced before the storm, before the crisis. So in the time of peace is when we prepare for the time of storm. But you, you got it, Claudia, that's exactly right. It's the Holy Spirit that brings that transmission of righteousness through us. He actually empowers us to do it. He empowers us to do it. Yeah, beautiful. Anyone else with a comment or question? This is good. This is good. Beautiful. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, all right. All right, thank you everyone for your, your participation. Uh, we're gonna continue on now. I'm gonna go back to my screen sharing and we're gonna look at some more of this here. Okay, uh, I think I stopped at this one. We're gonna go to this one here. All right, all these attributes, living and breathing inside of Job, made for a life of integrity. So righteousness was living and breathing inside of him. All these attributes, blameless, upright, fearing God, turned away, turning away from evil. He didn't neglect any of them, all of them were alive and breathing inside of him. And they made for a life of integrity. All of these attributes coming together made a life of integrity. And we get the word, uh, our word integrate comes from integrity, where there's a joining and a coming together of these things. And then they form a bond, a strength that enables you to become strong. All right, the second bullet point, 
Remaining faithful and loyal is the righteous nature of God. Remaining faithful and loyal is the righteous nature of God. When we are faithful and loyal, we are expressing the nature of God. I want to look at the third bullet point, being a prisoner to righteousness, not of righteousness. Being a prisoner to righteousness is like Paul saw himself as a prisoner of Christ in Ephesians 3 and 1. These are synonymous. Um, what I'm saying here is that Job was a prisoner to righteousness. It wasn't a confinement. It was a, there was no way out for him. He didn't give himself an out. He was committed to righteousness. He was committed to being blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. These four things, he practiced them. And when we think of a prisoner, a prisoner gave, gives up his rights. And that's what Job did. He abandoned his rights to take on these four things coming from the character of God that he wanted to install in his life. So to be a prisoner to righteousness is what Job was. He rejected freedom and the easy way out. He maintained, he held fast to his integrity. I said his integrity is integrity, like verily, verily, but his integrity should just be one. Uh, that's Job 27, one through six. You can read it there. Job 27, one through six. Okay. Next, we are introduced to Job's family. Seven sons in whose, uh, in, in, in those times, were considered evidence of divine blessing. You find that in Ruth 4 and 15, and in 1 Samuel 2 and 5, about sons. Three daughters, and this family size was common in those times. So Job had 10 children. He had 10 children. All right? Uh, Job was incredibly wealthy. 7,000 sheep, which provided clothing and food. 3,000 camels, which provided transportation and milk, a thousand oxen, 500 yoke provided food and milk and, and power for plowing, 500 donkeys provided transportation. Such a huge livestock required many servants. It required many servants. And so we look at what history records and, and Mark spoke to this uh, earlier. History records Job as the greatest man among all the people of the East. That's what history said. It's not what God said. It was similar to what God said, but they were calling Job the greatest man of all among all the people of the East because of what he owned, not because of who he was. God spoke to his internal architecture. God spoke to, to, to about Job from his inside, not his resources, okay? God gives a different assessment of Job than history does. History says Job was the greatest among all people of the East. God says, my servant Job, see, that's, that's the first thing he says, my servant Job, all right? The, the history didn't record him as God's servant. They didn't know him like that because God was looking at the righteousness inside of Job. That made the distinction between what history said and what God said about it. God said, my servant Job, 
that there is none like him, not in the East, like history says, all the greatest of all the people of the East, but God says, there's no one like him on earth because God knew who was in earth. <laughs> and Job stood out. Now history does record him as being blameless and upright and one who fears God and shuns evil, but God adds, he's my servant and there's none like him on the earth. And when Satan um, took away his, um, touched his resources and his family, and this is what the Lord added in that part right there, and still holds fast to his integrity, although you incite me against him to destroy him without a cause. Remember, Job was innocent. Job was an innocent man. This wasn't God's punishment. And this is why we have to find a lens, the proper righteous lens to look through, to see what was actually happening with Job. Job was not being punished by God. And we're, we're going to get to that in a second. He wasn't punished by God. Okay. All right. Now let's look at this. Job 1 and 8. He volunteers him twice. Job 1 and 8. God volunteers Job the first time to Satan. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now God volunteers Job again in Job chapter two, verse three. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil and still holds fast to his integrity, although you incite me against him to destroy him without a cause. So this is the next time that God volunteers Job. Now, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to seem redundant in this, but I want you to see that there was a strategy for God to choose Job. There was a strategy. So Satan answers. Now watch this. So Satan answered the Lord. This is in verse nine, Job one and nine, I believe. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and all that he has on every side? You bless the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. There are several things wrong with Satan's assertion. Several things wrong with his assertion. Number one, he assumed that Job's life was built on what he had. Number two, he considered, notice what it says here. I want you to watch this because this tells us something here. We have to read inside of this. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Now, isn't it interesting how Satan gave so much attention to Job. He studied him. He realized he was hedged in. 
He realized his household was hedged in on every side. He realized that, uh, that God had blessed the works of his hands and his possessions increased. So he's been studying Job for a long time, looking at him. And here's the real deal right here, you all. This is what I don't like about Satan. One of the many things I don't like about Satan. Satan, how did you know a hedge was there unless you tried to breach without God's permission? How do you know a hedge was there? Because you tried to get to him and you found out you touched an electric fence. <laughs> See, that's how he knew a hedge was there. He tried to get to Job without God's permission. So his whole assertions was wrong. His whole assertions were wrong. Okay? Satan misdiagnosed Job by testing him in the first place. This is the thing. Satan misdiagnosed Job by testing him in the first place. He shouldn't have tested him. God, look at this. God was saying to Satan, Job is made up of my righteous character. Therefore, he will not collapse. When God was describing Job's characters as Satan, it was a warning, not a challenge. In other words, God was saying, you don't want to mess with this man. Satan is an opposer of God by nature. So the invitation was appealing to the enemy to test Job. The truth is, Satan could not have tested Job unless God knew he was ready. All right? That, that's what Satan doesn't know. God is a whole lot smarter than him. You can't even ask for him until I see he's ready. You can't even ask me. You can't even approach me. That's how much power you have. You can't even approach me. It's the same with Peter. Satan asked for Peter and the Lord said, Peter, I pray for you that your faith don't fail. Satan can't even ask for us unless God feels we're ready. So when God was volunteering Job, God was saying, my son is going to make a fool out of you. You don't know him. He's made up of the stuff that makes that 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 that's in me. He has my nature, my character inside of him. He's he's about to show you up. It's the same way with Jesus in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness after the baptism. Because God opened up the sky at the end of Matthew chapter three, and he announced to the world, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted. Why? Not to lose, but to beat the devil on his own turf. Because the first thing Satan said to him, if you be the son of God, notice how he always trying to raise reasonable doubt. Okay? If you be, no, we don't start with if you be, because I am the son of God. I don't have to listen to you <laughs> because I am the son of God. We're not if, we're not ifing. God has given me a identity. There's no if and buts about my identity. I am who he says I am. Even if I don't feel like it, I'm who he says I am. Not what you call me, not what you believe I am. I'm who he says I am. And Jesus knew that going in 
with his identity. And so he passed every test that the enemy gave to him. And it was, this is something similar that happened with Job. It wasn't an offer. It wasn't a challenge. It was a warning. Don't mess with Job. I know you want him, but don't you mess with him. Everything you say he's going to do, he's not going to do because I, he got my stuff in him and he won't collapse. He won't collapse. All right. Another misdiagnosis was Satan's zeal in trying to test Job before God authorized. Satan tested Job and came up on the heads that, that he couldn't breach. Righteousness made Job impervious to Satan's attack. I submit that the hedge wasn't placed there by God. Otherwise, all of God's people would have one. But Job's practice of the virtue and the four righteous pillars built the hedge. His practices caused him over time to become immune. And the only way Satan could come in was that God opened up that space for him to come in but his righteous practices hedged him in. Righteousness confuses the enemy. He has no reference point for it. So this is why he was losing from the beginning because he didn't know who Job really was. All Satan knew were people who were proud about what they had. Their lives were built on their, on their assets. Their lives were built on their family. Their lives were built on their education. And so, He's saying, all I have to do is take his stuff and, and he'll curse you. He had no concept of what righteousness does, how righteousness establishes a person. Satan had no clue because there's no righteousness in him. He can't have a reference point. So here was Satan asking for trouble. He was asking for trouble and God was warning him, don't mess with Job. <laughs> He's the wrong guy. There's nobody like him in the earth. But you know how Satan is. He got thrown out of heaven. So he doesn't listen to what God says. He, he's not, he's not he's capable of listening to what God says. So it's just like the, uh, the Pharaoh's uh, army that chases uh, God's people in the water. Where are they going to go? They're in the water. Where are they going to go? But the enemy will get people so infuriated, get them so upset. They want to get their hands on you. It's not enough just to see you in a bad situation. They want to put their hands on you. And when they came and followed them into the water, God made a pathway for his people and he drowned the enemy. Satan is not as smart as he thinks he is. This was not a challenge. God wasn't challenging Satan. The deal was already done. God already knew the end from the beginning. Job didn't and Satan did, but God knew. Okay? So righteousness confuses the enemy. He has no reference point for it. So <laughs> when we're righteous and we build and we live on that righteousness and that righteousness gets root, after a while, we can become immune to certain things. We can't even be touched by Satan. That's what the practices of Job is showing me in this. It's showing me that this man comes to a place in his life because of his practices. I mean, it's just like, look at, look at uh, Enoch. Enoch, something very simple 
walking with God for so many years, a simple thing, putting one foot in front of the other, every day, walking, walking with God, walking with God, till one day God had enough. And he says, you know what? That walk is too good for earth. He uprooted him from the earth and brought him to heaven. He walked right out of time into eternity. We could live in a way on earth that so moves God till it changes the trajectory of our lives. As the trial begins, Satan wastes no time to attack Joe's asset and family. However, God first sets the parameters for the trial. God first sets the parameters for the trial. Even though God is allowing it, his righteousness takes consideration in telling Satan, chapter 1, verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your power only. Do not lay your hand on this person. Remember, God, uh, remember, Job is an innocent man who Satan is trying to pull away from his righteousness through personal assault. He's trying to pull him away from his righteousness by personal assault and to get him to see God as allowing. But it didn't work because Job was righteous. Satan never knew that. He thought if I could just take his asset, if I could touch his family. And when Satan saw that it wasn't in that, he was exhausted. Then he comes back to God and God says, okay, touch his body, but don't touch his life. You thought it was in his stuff. It wasn't in his stuff. You think it's in his health. It's not in his health. In Job's trial, we are reminded of the wisdom of Jesus, which says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. That was proven by Job. If we build the foundation of our lives on external possessions rather than internal intrinsic value, they may be subject to moth, rust, or thievery, as it says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Grace reigns through righteousness, Romans 5, 21. As Job continues in suffering and overcoming the onslaught and the attacks of the enemy, God was giving him grace. Grace was reigning. Grace not only reigns to pay for the penalty of salvation, grace reigns to sustain us through trials and difficulties. Grace reigns through righteousness. It reigns through righteousness. All right, let's, let's talk some more about this. Let's talk some more about this. The mic is open to whoever would like to uh, make comments on what we shared here, this issue of Job. Can I just say something very quick, Kelvin, yeah. that I, I remember when you said that Job's immunity, that Job in that, in a way, created a hedge in his life. I remember yeah. the that verse when Jesus says uh, that the ruler of the, of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. Ah, uh, that's, ah, what, yeah. that's what came to, to my mind because it, it's kind of that immunity, right? Exactly Not right. having anything to do with, with, it, with Satan in his life. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good, Claudia. That's good. That's it exactly. I mean, this is the place that we're striving for in God. This is the place that we're yearning for. 
to get to that place. Did you hear what Mark said earlier? Mark was talking about what an honor, what an honor to be selected, to be chosen, to be tested in that way. Yeah. What an honor. You know, it comes from a perspective that is not born of this world. It isn't. This world, it threatens us with things. It taunts us with things. It, it provokes us with things. It tries to. But when our sights are elevated above all that the world can offer and Christ becomes our reward, God becomes our reward, then nothing here will seem any, like anything to compare. You know, there's a hymn, a beautiful mm -hmm. hymn. There's a beautiful hymn that goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Hallelujah. Turn our eyes toward him. Yeah. So this is, this is it, you all. I mean, those of us on this call, we are wired for the things we're talking about here. We are wired. We just have to grow into it. But we're wired to respond like Job and righteousness. We're wired for this. God created something inside of us that yearns for this. We may not understand all of it, but it's our heart's desire to be this way, to where we in, are impervious, impregnable to, to, to the assault of Satan because our standards are so high. They're so pristine. He can't figure us out. He can't figure us out because it's not based on what we have and what we don't have. He's our reward. Okay. It's not in things. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Anyone else with thoughts or comments on this? Love to hear from you. Love to hear from you and what you saw inside of this. Looking at our brother Job, seeing his life and how he's. Hi, everyone. Yes, Serena. It's Serena. Hi. Good to have you back. Good to have you back. Um. Yeah. Thanks. Um. You know, I'm just, I'm just so overwhelmed. I, what, what you're saying is shedding such a different light on how I've always looked at Job and quite possibly how often um, persons have misguided us into looking at it, you know? Um, so to look at it as an honor instead of a, oh my God, what's going wrong in my life? What did I do wrong to receive such a, a weighty punishment? Or to say, God, you real set up Job, you know? You set up Job because you were showing off in heaven, you know, when you were having your conversations up there. And then the devil wasn't paying attention to Job before until you brought that to him. Now to hear you express it, that he was always looking at Job and he was always very much attentive to his righteous levels. And even that you're saying that it's not God who built a hedge of protection around Job. It is Job's righteousness that built a hedge of protection for himself and for his whole family. Even though his children weren't as righteous as he was, but it was because of his righteousness that a hedge of protection came about his whole family. It just blows my mind, honestly. I'm just so overwhelmed with a new um, truth of deeper truth than I've ever seen before. And I'm really grateful to have been on this call at this time. So thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you, sis. It's um I'm telling you, it's it's um it's humbling. It's humbling. It's humbling, uh, Zarina, to be able to just see just another side. Um, we're looking at it from God's side now, not from an earthly side where we see the punishment of Job because he was innocent. He was innocent, you know, and, and God even spoke of his, his spiritual condition. But uh, even when you get to the end of the trial, um, Job says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. So with everything that Job had going right for himself, there was still a perspective that he needed to see God shining through. Interesting how he bring him through this whole trial. He says, oh, now I see you in a different way. Not only have I heard about you, but I see you. The Bible talks about how um, the children of Israel knew uh, God's acts but Moses knew his ways. He knew his ways. And um, there's something to be said about a walk with God where we, we start to really get it. It's the thing behind the thing. We're not just looking at what it is, the thing, but we see the thing behind the thing that is um, the real essence of everything. And so uh, God really, through Job, really pulled a fast one on the enemy. He really did. And where Satan was always, he's always at a deficiency when we're righteous because he has no reference point. He has no way of blocking it. He has no way of doing anything of any consequence that God doesn't approve. And so we're born of righteousness. So we have a righteous DNA. And um, I'm just so grateful to God for what he's showing us through his word. I, I just, it just, it makes my heart full, you all. It really, it really does. It really does. And um, the best is yet to come for us. Um, it really is. We are, I really believe we're in a preparation season. I really do. But God wants to shine through us uh, brilliantly. He wants to empower us to be able to live here on earth with, uh, with, with strength and with power and with grace, that we would be that light. Uh, the, the, the shining light that he says in the book of John, we'd be the city on a hill, um, that this is his desire. And so our testing sharpen us. They sharpen us. They, they mold us. They shape us, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's a heavenly perspective. It really is a heavenly perspective. So thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Anyone else with any comments or any questions? Thank you all so much for your, your comments and your perspectives and your statements. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Anyone else? We have, um, let's see, maybe. Oh, had more coming through. Had more coming through. Oh, yeah. About uh, Zarina's accent. Yeah. <laughs> I think Zarina to us. To, to, to you, we have an accent, I would imagine, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. Um, all right, well, I think that that's evening. Um, I think that's gonna be it for the, this evening. Mark, 
we can turn it back over to you if you're there. Yes, Kevin, I'm here. Um, yes, okay. enjoying every moment of this discourse. Um, I want to say that I think we want to go back and listen to this today's conversation again. Something about it should um, lead us because of the seed that it carries. Something about it should lead us to the practicalities of righteousness in its stealthy form and in its loud and bold and announcing and conspicuous form. I don't have much to say than these few things now. Thank you so much, Kelvin. And we're looking forward to the next weekend, uh, sorry, the next Thursday, as we continue to deal with these issues. I'm one person, when a process starts, I would like to experience that process, engage it to unravel its full capacity. So I say a very short prayer, not as ending a meeting, but I just feel like praying and that is, May God um, release the grace to us to be able to walk in these things. When they are released, they become a transmittal point. So let the capacity, the seed that is sown, bring us into the destination. May we see ourselves living it and many people within our lifetime. May we be tools of impact in various environments. May God place us and appoint us into capacities that will really turn the fortunes of many societies and many families and cities and nations because of the power of righteousness. Father, thank you. We pray that this thing that is so powerful that the enemy itself cannot fight. Lord, which is who we are. Lord, give us this revelation that erases the barrier of impossibilities. May we begin to live in that consciousness of possible, possible, all things are possible, all things are possible, all things are yours. Let our consciousness grip us, let it inform our ways, let it invigorate us. Let us begin to live outside from within the currency of righteousness. Let us begin to live out of the economy of righteousness. Let us begin to live out of the very presence of righteousness. Lord, what is it that made this thing what it is? Cause that thing that is living with us, living in us, who we are, let it break forth. Unless a grain of corn falls to the ground, it abides alone. Father, let this grain of who we are, this posture, fall into the soil of this time. Lord, we open our heart to say, bring us through. We want to evidently, practically leave it in every facet of our existence. We want to be that persuasive force in the darkness. We indeed want to be that convicting aroma without words being spoken. We want to be that dominion and convicting power of righteousness 
without we announcing we are preachers. May just our posture in an environment strike the terror in the hearts of evil. May just our posture sitting and even just getting involved in our day-to-day -day and normal activity, let the enemy be bothered. Thank you, Father. We bless you. Lord, I pray that everybody that is on this call and anybody listening to this audio and watching this video now, Lord God Almighty, will have his or her needs met spiritually. Some of us have needs of relationship, real, real, real relationship, companionship and all. Some of us have real need for money. Lord, some of us have real need of business breakthroughs. Lord, some of us have real need of breakthroughs and family crisis and accommodation issues. Lord, some of us have real need in laying hold of our purpose and walking in it and living a pathway. Oh God, let nothing stop us because we are unstoppable, except you. We thank you. We give you all the praise. Let provisions be released. Lord, bless Kelvin, protect him, shield him. Lord, meet him at the point of his need. Meet Brenda at the point of need. Lord, whatever they desire. Lord, we know that this righteousness of you causing the landscape to change. You do awesome things when we did not even look or ask. Let it begin to happen to Kelvin and Brenda. Awesome things that they didn't even ask. Father, let our righteousness begin to bring deliverance and salvation to our environment. Thank you. We bless you for opening our eyes to see who we are and to live out of this. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, I just feel like praying these things, uh, not in particular to end the meeting, but mm -hmm. those are some of the things uh, in my heart. Friends, it's been good. Anybody have any comments? Any thoughts? I like the, the kingdom ascent as underscored by Claudia of Zorina. Zorina, I hear, you, I hear your ascent is a singular standard in the earth. None can compare. <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful. That is, that is what it is. Oof. Yeah, Claudia, go. No, just a big thank you, brother, to Kelvin, and a big hug to everybody. It's so wonderful when I get the chance to come to the to the call. It's so wonderful, and we so miss you. That yeah, we're looking for the opportunity to visit Chile. When... Yeah. Yes. I wish we, I wish there were no borders. That borders wouldn't didn't ex exist. <laughs> it yeah. would be so good. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that photo of you under the sea. Did you catch any shark? Oh, no, there was no shark, but that was a very beautiful experience because I was so afraid of going under the, the ocean, like 
do the, that, that scuba diving thing. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and I think it comes to what I said as well to Kelvin that I don't want anything, you know, when, when Satan comes to tempt me, I don't want to have anything to do with him so that he cannot find anything in me. And I knew that at that, that year when I went to, to Colombia with my sisters, that photo was taken, I think, in 2017 or 18. Uh, I was so afraid and I, I was made a bit claustrophobic, you know. And I know that that's a lie and something that comes from hell. And so it was a big victory for me. Not for me, I know it was the Lord, but, you know, I, I, it was one of the things that, that the Lord allowed me to have victory over. And so everything else that is in our lives that not, does not belong to heaven and belongs to our old nature or to hell directly, I don't want to have anything to do with it. So, yeah. <laughs> Amen. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Kelvin, God bless you, sir. It's been so good. God bless you. Thank you, Mark. And just uh, um, Claudia, your sister just came in right in time for the prayer. You were asking about her earlier. Oh, <laughs> friend, a big hug for you. <laughs> uh, good to hear you guys, boys. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you, everyone. Mark, thank you again for everything. God bless you. Beautiful. Okay, Tio. Albert, do have a good night and watch out for the video and the audio uploads. Hopefully, I think it can be done tomorrow. I was able to get my my sound to work on my computer today. It's been acting up, but it's good. Thank you. Do have a good night. And it's bye-bye for now. You too, guys. Bye-bye. bye-bye. Big hug to everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.